0: Welcome back to the State of Education with Melvin Adams. In this conclusion of Melvin's discussion with Brad Huddleston, we hear about the connection between sleep deprivation and depression, learn that children are not the primary addicts of video games and end with simple steps for becoming free of technology addiction. As our society has become more blessed and obsessed with technology, We are discovering that there are inherent dangers that come with excessive and understand use of technology, especially by children. So you've been talking about that, but Mm -hmm. talk to parents and educators about some of the research findings on this subject.
1: Sure. Um, Attention deficits. This is always this always comes up in in my lectures. Uh, Lots of research uh, about that. So consider this this article from the Cleveland Clinic. The headline here is preschooler screen time linked to attention problems. Researchers found that by age five, five children who spent two hours or more per day looking at screens were 7.7 times more likely to meet criteria for a diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD than children who watch screens for 30 minutes or less each day. Uh, Dr. Victoria Dunkley has done a lot of research finding the exact same thing. And there's just scores and scores of of data to show that. So the problem that we have, Melvin, is that every parent that I speak to, and I'm not put, I'm not saying this to make parents feel bad. I'm honestly not. It's just human nature. Every parent believes their child is the exception. Yeah. They really believe their child can handle it when obviously they can't. We're, we all have limits to our brains. Some will get addicted more qu- quickly than others, but everybody gets addicted. So when you, when you see all this medicine being doled out, it's disturbing um, yeah. because the first, if I were a doctor treating that, the first thing I would do is put them on a detox for six weeks. This is what is done when, when you can get parents to do it. Most just won't do it. Um, it would drive them crazy because their kids would just you know, be in their hair and that babysitters become too convenient. And again, Melvin, I judge no one by by saying this it's just the culture that we have you know come into we've been blindsided by this because in the early days we thought this was going to solve a lot of problems it just turns out that smoking was bad for you you -hmm. know if you know what i'm saying on the analogy there yeah so some of the other research that i'll point out sleep loss is a massive massive problem amongst kids so let's just have a look at that and some of the emotional problems we keep coming back to the emotional issues here screen time and insomnia what it means for teens The National Sleep Foundation's 2014 Sleep in the Modern Family poll found that three in four teenagers and 96% of teenagers between the ages of 15 and 17 bring some kind of technology into the bedroom. That's the key there. About 80% of the problems that we're talking about on this webinar happen in the bedroom with the door shut. In total, the average adolescent gets up to nine hours of screen time per per day. And so what are the consequences of all this sleep deprivation? Sleep deprivation during adolescence can cause problems with mood, emotion, and academic performance. Teens who don't sleep well are more likely to have problems with their peers, and chronic sleep loss can lead to a weakened immune system. And, and here's the problem, depression and suicidal thoughts. Depression is off the charts, and so is suicide. It is, the numbers are staggering, and people are having a hard time drawing the link between that and a kid's smartphone, but Apple knew about it because their investors put a lot of pressure on them in one of the iOS upgrades to include that tracking software to limit them. Now, it didn't work because there's always around ways around it. Kids will get around it. Adults will just after a while turn it off. So it was a good idea when it came out But I suspect someone asked me, Melvin, why would Apple's investors who know that they're making boatloads of money off of addiction, why would they encourage Apple to curb digital addiction? They know they're going to lose money. And I don't really know. I'm not privy to those meetings, but I have a guess. My guess is, is those investors, many of them are grandparents and they still actually like their grandkids and they've seen the depression. They've seen those stats that I just showed you and many, many more. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So they have a position of power at Apple to put some some pressure on them to build that software and to track them and cut them off after a certain amount of time. But here's the problem. Do you honestly think that a child will stop after just 30 minutes if that's the safe limit? I don't then that's why in the article they said they're getting nine hours a day, but 30 minutes is the actual limit. So. Uh, you know, you can't tell a kid you can play video game for, for 30 minutes. They're proud that they log thousands of hours with Fortnite and world of Warcraft and Minecraft and all this sort of stuff. They log thousands of hours and their brains look horrible. So I hope that I answered that, uh, you know, some of the research is it's, it's daunting, but it's not insurmountable, Melvin.
0: So you say about the brains looking horrible and, uh, so, I mean, can you actually see that kind of stuff in a brain scan?
1: You can. Um, I'll show you a series of brain scans. And I sourced these from uh, Dr. Daniel Amen's Amen Clinic. I mean, I just got them off Google Images. But I, a lot of us know who Dr. Daniel Amen is. He uses a technology called SPECT. And it stands, stands for Single Photon Emission Computed Tomography. It's just a measure of activity and, uh, or the lack of activity. And what that is, that's a baseline of a healthy brain. And so if you suspect that someone has an unhealthy brain, you scan it, compare it to that normal one, measure the deviation, and you can tell whether or not the brain is suffering damage. So the first brain scan that I'll show you is someone who smokes marijuana. And you don't need to be, you know, a neuroscientist to figure out why they're speaking slowly, processing things slowly, and saying crazy things like, it doesn't bother me, when clearly smoking marijuana does bother you. So, cocaine. That's what a cocaine brain looks like and uh, imaging brain imaging shows that digital addicts brains look like cocaine addicts brains. So those holes that you see there, Melvin, the brain doesn't actually look that way. If you were to remove it from the skull, Uh, what that is, it's a measure of the activity or the lack thereof. So the neurons aren't firing, Uh, the chemicals have changed. And so those holes means those parts of the brains have shut down. Uh, and they're obviously their emotions have changed. Their personality have changed. They'll do anything they, they have to, to get, to get that drug. So that is the meth brain, fairly similar. So let's go back to the normal brain or the baseline brain. This is the heroin brain. And you can tell those deep, deep pockets there where activities is missing. That drug came in uh, through a needle. And then the last one I'll show you is someone who is addicted to pornography, which is the worst one of all. Mm-hmm. And that drug didn't come in through the lungs, didn't come in through a needle. It came in through the eyes and it stimulated the brain just like any drug would. And the brain from that screen responded. So I can also show you what a Fortnite, uh, I'm sorry, a Minecraft brain looks like. Um, but I also want to let you know there's there's good news in all this. These things can be reversed if you catch it early. And that's the that's the key. But some of these, you know, do you know what the average age of a video gamer is? Take a guess, Melvin.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say about 14.
1: The average age of a video gamer in the United States is 35 to
0: 44. Wow, really?
1: It's a dad problem. And so when they come to hear me talk, they'll say, oh, I came because I need help with my child. And I say, I came to help you Uh, because the average age is that. And mothers are just as addicted as their daughters are to social media. So we're getting ready to teach a biblical worldview class here. And I'm not targeting kids because those numbers are so low, targeting the parents. When I have these digital cocaine seminars, I don't target the kids, although I'm in schools a lot, but much less during the pandemic. Obviously, I've been doing a lot of school talks online, but I I cherish the parent meeting. Because they're the ones with the problem. And if they don't model that to their children, the children are just going to follow suit. All right. So let me show you these other brain scans. This is a neuroscience study, and my source is just ABC's 2020 news program. And they were studying uh, the, the video game Minecraft. And so they chose three children, and these are triplets. And the uh, Noah, the guy, the kid on the right, his brain looks very different from his unaffected brother and sister so if you notice there's lots of color in the unaffected brother and sister that means the neurons are firing the activities normal but noah is a minecrafter very addicted and this child's personality has changed he used to be normal he used to be pleasant he used to be happy and nice but that's a screenshot of his mother trying to get the game away from him to put him in this neuroscience study So he's acting a lot differently than his brother and sister because his brain looks like that because a wall has formed. The dopamine can't get in. And when you try to take the source of the dopamine away, his drug, he gets very ticked off. So I want to show you the good news. They his mother took Minecraft away from him. And as far as I know uh, of anything I've ever been told in 20 years of talking about this, this is the only time that I've ever heard of a mother actually taking a video game away from a child. I'm telling you, I've had a daunting task speaking to hundreds of thousands of people, and I've never met a parent bold enough to actually take technology away when their child gets that bad. You can't just, you know, limit. Uh, it's it's like saying, "Well, look, I'm going to give you two lines of cocaine instead of three. You, you just time can't out do doesn't it. work. No, Lord, no. You have to detox. So that's what they did to the child. They sent him off to summer camp with no technology. They did horrible things to him, Melvin. They only let him swim. They only let him hike, play tennis, just awful things. And in just three weeks, 21 days, they brought this child back into the lab. They rescanned his brain. And here's the good news, Melvin. Look what happened. Wow. You look at his face. He's enjoying tennis. It, being outside no longer bores this child. Yeah. And his cognition is much higher. But notice it was analog, non-digital that did that for him. Because at his age, he obviously can't handle Minecraft. Now, Minecraft has been built- I hear parents say it all the time. They, they, they regurgitate the standard line from Mojang. Well, Microsoft bought it, but it's educational. They have to think deeply and build things. But because it's a screen, it doesn't matter the content. The screen is overstimulating that child's brain, and he is just too immature. So his grades will suffer. His emotions obviously will suffer. He's left him angry. But the good news is in a very short period of time, by taking it away, not limiting it, not reducing it but taking it completely away, the brain reset. And that is, I don't want to leave uh, this audience depressed (laughs) uh, without any hope because it can be turned around. Is it easy? No, it is not easy. It is not. But is it doable? Well, you saw the proof there. Absolutely.
0: So I think you pretty much answered the next question I was going to ask, but let me go ahead and spit it out here. Anyway, what recommendation do you have to offer in respect to technology used by children at various stages of physical and emotional development? So in a way that's okay. You you say, take things away, don't let them have more than half an hour and so forth, but you know, in respect to use of technology and now there's, you know, there's the side of it with the parents, you know, the games and the stuff that, like you said, the babysitters. But also beyond that, when we talk about education and and actually learning platforms and so forth um, for the different age groups and stuff, talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Well, look, this is going to sound harsh, but I'm going to go back to the reason why the tech executives send their children to Steiner there's a reason why they wait until they're between 12 and 14 before they introduce any technology. It's the creative side of their brains being developed. The brain wants to at that age uh, function in an analog world where it's slow. They want to take it in. They have when they're really young, they have what's called sponge brain. This is prior to the brain going modular. These things are very complex. And if you put that brain in an artificial environment, things go haywire. And that's why the children's brains are wired so much differently. But if you'll just wait, you'll have a very intelligent child. Many of those kids, after they go through Steiner, they're the ones that are really smart. The ones that had technology completely withheld, or even for the most part. And then they go back into the tech industry and run things. So the tech executives know that Steve Jobs' children never use the iPad. And uh, people are shocked. Now, that's documented. Um, that I didn't, that's not an internet rumor you can fact check me and find out that I'm correct. Um, you can fact check me on the New York times and they will back it up. Uh, that, and that's true. And the reason that I tell people that Steve jobs withheld the iPad and they never use is because he loves his, well, he's dead now, but he loved his children. He doesn't love your children. He loved his children. It's up to you to love your children. And so he withheld it. And they would sit around the table, uh, At night, nobody ever pulled out technology, and he would read books with them, and they would talk about history for for long periods of time. They just stayed in the analog world. He did not want his kids subjected to all this stuff that I'm talking about. All of us who have computer degrees know what this stuff does. I've been affected by it, so I judge no one. But more solutions, Melvin. um, I get this from teenagers a lot. They'll, They'll push back at me in schools, and they'll say things, look, I have to have technology to do my schoolwork. I have to know how to use technology in order to get a job. And to their surprise, I think, I say, you know what? I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. You absolutely do. But let me explain how to use it once you come of age, once you are in those early teen years where you can have some. This is what I would recommend to you. If I were to grab the typical student's phone or tablet from anywhere in the world, I would find educational things on there like Google Sheets, Google Docs, Excel, PowerPoint. But I would also find... Fortnite, Google Classroom, Netflix, Minecraft, I find Snapchat, certainly TikTok. I'd find Word, I'd find Instagram, pornography, and I would find YouTube. If I were to separate those things that are causing the problems from those things that are actually useful, this is what it would look like. It's those things on the left that are causing the problem. And again, no one's ever come to me and ask for help because they're addicted to Google Classroom or Word. They get in and they get out. They've used the internet for a very good purpose, but it's boring compared to pornography or video games or social media. So they get in, they do their work and they get out unless they have a, a phone. So this is the next thing. When a student is studying, they cannot have any phone near them. They cannot have any music playing whatsoever. And there's neuroscience behind this. I can show you the, I can show you the, the science behind it. The, the brain is, is multitask. Well, it's not actually, we can't multitask. It's switch tasking and it's causing a detrimental effect. Even classical music. I get that one all the time. There's been thousands of studies to show that it's detrimental to academics to have any kind of music on whatsoever. So the question becomes, what do you replace it with? So let's say you take that step like Noah did and you take away those things. In fact, for him, for three weeks, he had nothing. As far as I, I knew, I know from that research study, he was at camp. But what do you replace it with? Well, you do need to replace it with about 80 percent things that will bring you peace of mind things. uh, If you are a a meditation or a spiritual person, uh, we live in beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. I say get outside and hike and do these things. Be a reader of, of analog books and be with people face to face. There's something so healthy about getting together with people. We have a phenomenon that's very real and diagnosable called Facebook depression. So, while these kids have 5,000 friends, they're depressed because the brain does not respond the same when you are interacting with people online as it does when you are face to face. So, this is daunting. It's big. I, in that animation that I just showed you, I didn't cut out everything, I kept a lot of things, but it's the things that are actually useful. Uh, but you have to make some hard decisions and put family first, put brain health first. You could get a scan if you want to, but all you have to do is look at those pictures of Noah and you can clearly see there was a before and after reaction. You don't need to scan your brain to figure out if it's helping Detox has always helped.
0: You know, Brad, it's interesting as I've been listening to you. Uh, and of course we're talking really kind of focusing on the children and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but I hear adults, using those very same terms. I hear them around me all the time. I probably have used them some myself um, because all of us live in this digital world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we feel like, you know, we just have to get this done, have to get that done. We're driven by some kind of a task and way too often Uh, some form of technology is part of what we perceive as the solution to getting it done. And Mm -hmm. so that keeps driving us back into that. And, uh, and you've given us a lot to think about, Uh, not just myself, but I mean, all of us, I mean, adults, grandparents, I mean, how many grandparents are there that spend hours and hours and hours on Facebook, just Because that's their connection to the world, and it's so quick and convenient. They can sit right there in their home and in their convenience. They don't go anywhere, and they're having all these conversations with all their friends. They're real, but they're also not quite real. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, as you said, the brain responds differently. And I think, you know, there is a fact that, you know, a lot of times we do all this communication through digital technology and it is easy to feel very lonely, even though we're talking to everybody.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I, I will leave the audience with this. I mean, we can talk about this all you want to Melvin. I, I would say sleep is so important. And as simple as this is, consistent sleep. And my wife, I have to credit her. I know you would credit Sandy with your well-being because she's probably, you know, helped you so much. Beth has gotten on me. And when I finally matured and stopped getting angry at her and listening to her, I realized she is my helpmate and I should probably take advantage of that. Yeah. And uh so what she did, she challenged me. I said, honey, you know, we're we're not we're not spending enough time together. We're not spending enough time and, and I'm a minister. I'm not spending enough time in devotion and, and prayer and things like that. And she said, well, I have an answer. And uh, she had thought about it. And I said, well, what's that? She said, we need to go to bed early. And I'm thinking like nine or 10 and she goes, no later than eight. And I thought this precious, cute little wife of mine has lost her mind. But as it turns out, she was absolutely right. So we made some hard decisions. Now I'll be out late tonight speaking, so I will compensate. I'm not going to, get up early or go to bed early tonight, but when we're in control, and this is about 70% of the time, we go to bed between seven and eight, and we're up at three. So I want to just show you a couple of things that I think will help. These are changes that I have made, but I judge no one, Melvin, because I've been on the other side of that addiction fence. I mean, horribly. So I have compassion for people. I just want to help people. So consistent sleep. So this is some of the, the, the best information that I could present uh, School-age kids, 6 to 13 years of age, need 9 to 11 hours of sleep. Mind you, no technology in the bedroom. A dark bedroom, just sleep. No music playing. The teenagers need 8 to 10 hours of sleep. Young adults need 7 to 9, as do adults and the older adults. This is a sleep monitor that I have of myself. And Can you see, Melbourne? those dark blue ridges down there? Yeah. That's, that's deep and REM sleep. And we cycle. Uh, in and out of that, about every 90 minutes, there's a pulse that comes out from the back of our brain stem that controls this. And if we get eight hours for you and me, we would need eight hours of sleep. And if you totaled up those dark blues, which is the deep sleep, and if it totals about 40% or more of your night's sleep, the toxins have flushed out of the brain that get collected during the day from stress. The wiring has come right, all the chemicals have come right, and, and you just feel so very good. And so, there's another thing I want to show you. No music while sleeping, and be finished with all screen time um, three hours before bed for children, and an hour for adults. And I want to show you why. I had challenged a teacher that instead of grading the assignments, this was an Apple school, so he had an Apple uh, a tablet, and all the kids had tablets. Everything would get aggregated on his, and he was grading papers. You know, and assuming because it was education, it wasn't affecting him. But he said, "I'm not sleeping well." I said, "Well, look." An hour before you go to bed, read a novel on paper. And he came to me the next day and he goes, I, or a couple of days later, and he says, I tested you. And I didn't know if he's being rude to me or mad at me or what, but he was happy uh, when he when I said that. So what were you talking about? And he goes, oh, no, it was awesome. So I just want to show you this. If you'll notice, this is a little bit de- different type of sleep monitor, but he said, I was grading assignments on the iPad right up till 10 o'clock. And look, it took me until 1230 before I got into deep sleep. So the next night I opted to read a novel printed on paper right up till 10 o'clock. And he says, look, I immediately went into deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And the reason is simple. All those chemicals that get released from overstimulation from the brain, it takes about three hours in a child, about an hour, hour and a half for an adult for those things to flush out so that you can sleep properly. And that's one of the best pieces of advice that I could give someone. And for parents, no screen time before school and no screen time before work. And the reason is you'll suffer what is called post-stimulation attentional drift. All those chemicals are stimulating and it causes your attention to fragment. And so if you will just save your brain reserve for school or for your work, so don't check social media when you get up, don't do any of that sort of thing, you're going to be much further ahead than anyone else in terms of you, your sponge brain and what you can uh, you know, take in. And so unless you have something else, I just have one more thing I want to show you that is so critical. Um, There's a neuroscientist who discovered in terms of ADHD, the only thing that really extends it back out is reading, but not not on the Kindle or the iPad. The cognition is much lower when you read the same content on a screen. So what we do when we get up in these wee hours of the morning, I just want to show you what we do. Um, And I I attribute this to my wife. So we have our quiet time and our reading and that's my end of the couch. Beth is over in her chair. And if you'll notice, uh, there are no phones there. There are no screens there. It's I've been reading a bunch of Charles Spurgeon books. There's a Bible. There's a journal. There's a bunch of highlighters. Everything there is analog, a traditional dictionary. I don't use the the dictionary on my phone. I I went back to the one I got in when I was in middle school, junior high school. Mm -hmm. And I just sit there and we read for about 40 minutes and then we, we have some, some meditation time, prayer time. And then we go to the gym. Exercises had to become a big part of my life. I had health issues. All that's been undone now. But notice all that's analog. And then I come down here in the studio. And obviously, um, I have a nice studio and have screens everywhere in here. And they come on. But by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when I'm in control of my schedule, all this stuff, including my phone, is off. That's it. So we do watch some television, uh, but obviously not a lot because we're in bed very early. Now, that's a decision. And, and look, I travel all over the world. I travel all over this country. I can't do that every night. But you have no idea how much less anxiety that I've suffered and emotional turmoil because I've suffered all that stuff. And I still do from time to time. I mean, life happens. Bad things happen. But my periods of peace and inner peace have just, in the last several years, has allowed me to do better writing for articles for magazines and for books and things like that melvin and so i hope that's helpful these are hard decisions in a digital world i use a lot of digital technology i mean i'm in here using a lot of stuff i know how to use this stuff i think pretty well
0: yeah
1: um but it's not the center of my life anymore uh it's a good tool i put it back in the toolbox early in the day and i'm out so i hope that helps
0: that is fantastic brad and thank you so much for taking time to share out of your own experience and your expertise. Um, We're excited to share this with all those who who follow and uh, hopefully it'll really bring value to a lot of people. Join the conversation today on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or visit our website at www.nwef.org. The views of our guests are not necessarily those of the Noel Webster Educational Foundation. We'll see you next time
1: on the State of Education with Melvin Adams.